Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. All right, well, I'll go ahead and kick it off, guys. So if you, oh, we have a, a special guest in here too. So if you guys haven't listened to us before, this is Mixed Company Podcast. Uh, I am Kai Devereaux Lawson, and I'm you guys will see my co-host. Yep, I'm Simeon Coker. And basically, our podcast is about talking a lot of shit about advertising and the experiences of people of color in the business. We also do productive things like talk about creative and the, uh, and the um, basically the, the, the standard of what's happening in the industry. And we try to invite really cool people to talk about it as well. Um, so we thank you guys for joining us. Last week, we did this on Instagram Live, and it was just uh, the two of us. But since we've got three people and Instagram and Facebook haven't caught on yet, we are on Zoom. So thank you guys for taking the extra second to click our, the links in our bios. So, um, Sim, how are you doing today? I'm all right. Got a little bit of the Rona, but I'm here. I want you to tell people that because they're going to send police to your house. Listen, listen, the strategy is if I start uh, getting worse, I'm going to throw myself down the steps and then dial 911 and open the door. I feel like you could just jump straight to dialing 911, but you know, whatever really. But they can't get inside though, so. You can unlock it first. But I got to get down the stairs first, so I got to throw myself down the steps. You know what? Difficulty, whatever. Um, I'm not sick. However, I am definitely having an exasperated form of cabin fever. I've gone for three walks today around my neighborhood and I've noticed three new neighbors. Um, And yes, I've been counting. So that's what I've been dealing with uh, in addition to working remotely. Um, And and it's just kind of like that. So we also have a guest today. Uh, We've got Walter Gear the third. Are you really the third, Walter? Oh, yes, I am. And there will never, ever be a fourth. <laughs> None. Oh, you, None. You've made that decision yourself. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for you? joining us. Um, so today's, just so you guys know, today's episode is really going to be about Walter, but we'll go through the regular format. Walter, you're welcome to jump in. As you know, um, last week we started doing a, a coronavirus check-in or COVID check-in. Um, just to make sure we've uh, discussed what's happening in the news and and any updates that we've heard individually, as well as our favorite session, which is Dope Shit Ain't Shit, uh, where we talk about cool things happening in the industry and also some really shitty things that may have happened in the industry. Um, So with that, let's start with the COVID check-in, Sim. What have you heard going on? Uh, a lot of people are getting laid off. Uh, I think today they just announced that uh, Omnicom and Dentsu laid off a bunch of people or were furloughing people. Um, so, I mean, I think when we initially started doing the recording, we talked about like, should we just keep... Somebody, somebody's exactly. unmuted. Uh, that we talked about things that continually be uh, um, changing and evolving. But in the same vein of uh, talking about the layoffs, I do want to highlight the fact that there are some people who are still hiring and trying to um, make an effort to make sure that people are getting jobs as they're getting laid off. So one of them is Amber Revoir, Revoir, 
um, who is basically creating a Google Doc of like <clears throat> all the people across the country who are within the advertising industry specifically who are looking for jobs. And then also the One Club has a list that is being updated on a consistent basis with agencies that are looking for people right now. So those are two things that I wanted to highlight because I know that it could be very, it could feel like a dire situation getting laid off when the entire world is on punishment and locked inside. So those are the two things that I want to bring to everyone's attention because I think it's extremely relevant right now. Right. Another thing that I saw um, related to that, and I see Derek is on. No need, no need to show your face, Derek. We're recording <laughs> this and know how you feel about that. Um, but just making sure that we're being maybe sensitive isn't the word, but but cognizant how we speak to people who are experiencing um, difficulties with work or hardships with work. And it's mm -hmm. not at this point, it, it may not be the best to tell people everything's going to be OK, but to actually be as uh, productive and proactive as you can um, is the best help and uh, conversation you can offer to folks. Um, right. I, I've, if I'm not, quite frankly, if I'm not hearing about folks getting sick, I'm definitely hearing about folks getting laid off. Um, and it can it can be very um, it can be very heavy to kind of go through that. So if you know people, make sure that you're doing what you can, or maybe suggesting more positive um, uh, ways for them to get prepared for this next journey that they will be on. Right. I think on my side, um, the biggest update, which I'm sure many of you have heard, is the CDC has changed their uh, stance on whether or not to wear masks, going from you don't need it to maybe you do need it, um, which to me at this point, I'd say, we are all in the best position to kind of just do everything you can to protect yourselves and the ones around you. So it doesn't hurt to wear a mask. Uh, it sounds like CDC is not 100% sure if it's helpful, but it damn sure doesn't hurt. Um, so make sure you guys are wearing masks. If you don't have a mask to purchase, there are tons of tutorials on how to make them. Um, I was a part of a conversation yesterday. I saw Nichelle was on um, where a, a doctor actually uh, mentioned that it's not just about the cloth, it's about the filtering. Um, so making sure that you are, if you are making your own masks, to make sure that your mask is filtered, uh, whether it be with the handmade, um, uh, with handmade filtering system, or if you're actually buying the surgical mask. Um, so we'd like to preserve as many, as, as much as we'd like to preserve as many jobs, we also wanna make sure we're preserving as many people uh, as we go through this. So that is, I think that should be it for our Corona check-in before it goes into a deep, dark uh, rabbit <laughs> hole. Uh, but we can go on to some dope shit or ain't shit. Or actually, right. wait, Walter, you, have you heard anything cool, uh, cool, interesting, important about COVID that you need to share? Anything on your spirit? I mean, I got a lot to share on that topic. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to share. No, I mean, one thing is, and, and we can kind of touch base on it later. I, I had a really interesting live stream with uh, with one of the first doctors uh, in New York to actually deal with COVID-16. We, we could touch on that later, but I mean, what was really key was a conversation primarily around helping people of color and, and the things that we need to be doing more of and why that we are, we are dying at such, a, like, horrific rates but we can we can dig in on that later because that's a whole that's an episode yes that's it when is. it's mixed company and and doctors and company right but um, also 
Shout out to you, Walter, because I see that you've been highlighting a lot of um, health issues within the African-American community on your platforms and with uh, the work that you're doing. So kudos. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, but now on to dope shit and ain't shit. That's my favorite. If, if for nothing else, just to say it. Sim, you didn't have any dope shit or ain't shit last week. So I'm going to go ahead and challenge you to figure one out right uh, now. No, I have dope shit. So uh, today, I guess it's an oldie but goodie, but I watched um, Miriam Gessus, who was on the show, I think last year, the year before. Uh, I rewatched her Can uh, talk from, I think, Ecuador, uh, which is basically about conscious creativity. And I don't want to say that she's a prophet, but she kind of uh, dropped some bars on that stage where that basically came to fruition. She said in 2020, there'll be a global awakening that will basically cause uh, people to really take a real good hard look at advertising and the people who are leading it. And here we are, we're in the middle of this pandemic and I just wanted to shout her out. But also on top of that, there were, there was a, a agency in Brooklyn called Mass Event and Design that is doing some dope shit. They're, to her point of Marion's point of, you know, creating with, from within with empathy and all that shit. Um, Mass Event and Design has been, um, they were one of the first agencies to start creating the protective wear for coronavirus. So they were, work, they were working with a fabricator within their, um, I guess, within their fabrication department who figured out a way to make face masks the ones that actually cover your whole entire face. And they've been, in, I think they said they've been churning out like 3,000 to 5,000 masks a day and basically shipping them around the country. So I feel like they should be highlighted because when I was watching Miriam's talk again, I think the key thing that I took from what she was saying was, you know, all of us who work in this industry, our talents are, we're crazy. Like we're strategists. We're, we're here to think about how to... So everyone who works in this say, we are strategists and whether you're a copywriter or a designer, like we can use our talents to fix some shit. So shout out to Mass, and Mass Event and Design and Miriam Gessus for being the plug on highlighting what people need to do right now. Making sure I'm not on mute. Yep, 100%. Um, Miriam's always always been speaking forward and and to the, about the future and how we need to approach creating change. And I think, quite frankly, a lot of people, would, although this may not have been have been what we imagined, a lot of people have been um, thinking about you know a worst case scenario situation where we need to be prepared. We also need to be. Uh, conscious about what our the culture within our agencies and workspaces look like um and yeah she kind of called it she said by 2020 we were going to need to get our shit together and <laughs> lo and behold q1 2020 people out here including myself trying to figure out how the hell to get our shit together yeah. um so shout out to Miriam for that um i'd say i have i have dope shit i i, I have enough negativity coming to me in every podcast these days so i don't need to share that um, but if you are looking for content to get you through your day um, and you are not necessarily looking to listen to Simeon and I every day, you guys can check out Ad Color's uh, new series. Um, I think it's called Ad Color Voices, something like that. Um, actually, I'll tell you right now because I downloaded it. It's called Ad Color Inside and it begins streaming next, uh, next in the next 12 hours. Tomorrow, April 16th, they will be showcasing all of their panel discussions from the previous year 
Um, so if you didn't get a chance to join them in Los Angeles last year, um, you can definitely uh, log on to YouTube and do some searching and kick it with them that way. Lucky for you all, the first uh, session that they will be showcasing was monitored by, moderated by your truly. Um, so that means it's about to be the dopest thing you've ever experienced. <laughs> totally lying. I was scared shitless on that stage and you can see it. Um, but the conversation was about, uh, was called Heavy is the Crown, and it was about the pay gap um, and how it relates to women of color. Um, so that was an amazing conversation hosted by makers. Uh, for those of you that have um, follow makers on social media or have been to any of their conferences, um, it specifically discusses uh, how the pay gap and um, quite frankly, all kinds of finances affect women of color. So you guys can check them out uh, every Thursday at 1 p.m. Um, for their Ad Color Inside series. That's what's up. Yes, because my face will be on it. Uh, Walter, you got anything dope that you'd like to share now and not later? Ah, uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing now. Nothing as interesting as you guys got. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like a fourth grade teacher. We don't need all this paddling. We knew it was basic. <laughs> you could tell us it was a shit. <laughs> no, man. No, nothing, nothing, nothing crazy to be to be honest with you. I'm 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 staying low to the ground, man. Just trying to okay. use my time to trying to spread the spread the good word. <laughs> so then that makes it easy for us to go ahead into our main feature, which is you. For the for the record, you are the dope shit for the episode. Um right. I'm, I'm going to assume that many people on here know you, but if you do not, I will read Walter's um, quite professional biography. Boy. Uh, you, I, I believe I might have pulled this from your LinkedIn, so. <clears throat> okay. He is a, sports, a sport bike racer, track and field all-American, multi-patent holding, biometric lab creator. <laughs> Those are just a few of Walter Gear's self-earned epithets. Listen. I'm just going to go on the record and say the first time I met Walter, he led with, yeah, you know, I got a whole bunch of patents. And I was like, this isn't a contest, bro. Like, <laughs> Did I really? I don't do shit. I got a podcast. Like, I don't, you win. Wait, um, wait, were, we, were there drinks involved? There were tons of drinks involved. Oh, yeah, there, were, there were drinks involved. I was like, who is this dude? I got multi-patents. Okay, Michael Jackson. Like, without me, there would be no digital advertising. Well, thank you, because now we have a career. Um, but you're a veteran of the digital advertising space, and you hold a total of six U.S. patents for digital ad formats. Also, it says here that you've developed ad products and implemented creative strategies for a variety of publishers and leading technology and media companies, including, but I'm sure not limited to, Google, Viacom, New York Times, and MySpace. Uh, throughout your 20, I'm sure, plus year career, you've architected market-first usability labs, applying biometric research to the development of creative executions and minimizing risk by understanding how consumer emotions and demographics impact brand engagement. Um, to my understanding, currently you are uh, one of the head creative people at TBW Health, right now um and basically according to everything we're reading everything we know and everything we're seeing online you're a pretty fucking big deal oh, so word. thank you for giving us the little bit of time you got in your day to kick it with mixed company <laughs> we are so excited to get to the bottom of all of this with you 
Thank you. Yeah, we don't have a lot of patent patent makers on the show, so this is a real honor. <laughs> I was like, I was Look, like, I, I see, I see you guys at every conference, booth set up and everything. I'm like, damn, can I, can I, can I take a picture with these two? Let's yeah, but please, your patent, I mean, we're not about to sit here and like have a pissing contest. <laughs> shit is, we got a table and some mics and a laptop. Dude is out here creating industries. So for keeping us relatively employed right now, Walter. It's thank all you. thanks to you. Thank you, thank you. Um, I think the better way to, to, to start this is for you to tell us from your experience, like, who are you? How did you get to be this dude that everybody is uh, reading about and, and hearing from on Instagram Live these days? Yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm a creative, right? But I think um, I've been doing this stuff for about 20 years. And truth be told, it was kind of a space that I just stumbled into. Um, the, the short version of the story is uh, came home from college, had no idea what I wanted to do. My dad was like, you should get into this web design stuff. He literally says, I got you an interview tomorrow at this company. Um, I was kind of shocked because he set up my whole like page on uh, what the monster.com, if you guys remember that. And there goes my age right there. <laughs> and uh, went in and I, I, and I lied on the, the interview. I mean, they, they asked, do you know HTML? Yep. You know JavaScript? Yep. Photoshop? Yep. Look, I had like an email just for three weeks at the time. Okay. <laughs> uh, got on the job and just learned on the job. So, I mean, it just it was, it was fortunate to kind of pick it up quickly and it, it'd be a space that I enjoyed. But I mean, most of my career has been really kind of revolved around creating innovative solutions for brands, publishers and ad tech companies. And so it was always around kind of how do you bring data together with design uh, and, 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 and develop unique things that no one has seen before to drive engagement. So what, what did that look like 20 years ago? I mean, like we're here where, yeah. um, you know, you have all these accolades, you have these patents, like what was that? I don't know. What was your what was your insight that was kind of driving you at that point? Uh, I was I was inquisitive, and I think you you'll find a lot of people that do innovative things are just inquisitive. They're people that question things, right? And and I always at heart like to build things. So I was when I went to the New York Times in like gosh like two thousand one, I was their very first rich media hire, right? Like it was like when like flash banners and everything were coming on. No one knew, you know, what was what, and they were trying to figure out advertising. Um, like six months into the job, me we and still are. yeah, we still, still are. We're all yeah. trying to figure it out, right? But it was like six months into that job, we came up with what's probably now the most annoying ad creative in the world, right? Like, you know, how many times you go shopping for, let's say, a pair of Kai's shopping for shoes, Louboutin, right? Then you go to Instagram, Facebook, you go to all these different apps, and those ads follow you everywhere you go. It's called sequential messaging. So I was part of them, part of the few people that actually helped invent that. So I mean, it was a it was easier to kind of do innovative stuff then uh, because it was kind of people just throwing shit on the wall and hoping it sticks. Now it's more difficult, I say, because we, we now care more about the consumers and, and kind of like what we're doing and, and being intrusive and so on and so forth. So basically, I didn't give a fuck back then. Nah, I did not give a fuck. I mean, it was like <laughs> pop up. Like, come on, how many times you go to a site, you get like five, six pop up shits coming in front of your face. You know, can't find the page you were previously on. It was, it was fun times. That's actually really funny. I, I, you know, obviously TMI and being inappropriate uh, is being on brand for this show, but that just reminds me of trying to hide like your porn pages. When you're <laughs> that's exact. That's what I'm thinking about when you talk about that, Walter. Is oh my god, I can't click out. I can't click out. Oh my god, they're coming. So you invented that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
So with that, right? So just to go back to um, you flaunting a little bit. So six patents is a big deal for anyone. I'm sure people that have it, I, I, I've never seen one. Um, but six patents specifically for digital ad formats means that you played a large role in shaping how we view um, digital advertising today. So can you tell us a little bit more about those patents? So you talked about the, the uh, sequential dot 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 what else do you got on the on the docket um probably the other biggest one out of the bunch um that you use probably every day is skippable um pre-roll mm -hmm. so you go to youtube you go to any any video now you watch a video you get a 30 second spot or uh down lower right hand corner you get five four three two one and then skip so that what was funny about it is the first iteration of that um was actually we called it the i called it the fast forward and what we, what we did was it was a 30 second pre-roll and then if you actually you get a little icon about lower left hand corner you click on it and then it fast forwards the commercial so it turns a 30 second spot into a five second spot and then we added a voiceover and then you go directly into it and like the second iteration of it we did was like we called it like the pour to pass we did it for pepsi it was like you had a 30 second pepsi commercial you grab the pepsi bottle and then you pour it on top of your your video player and in five seconds it filled up and then skipped it. So clearly it was simplified <laughs> what you see today. That's kind of dope. That's why you have a fan in that room on your ceiling and central air. <laughs> yes. All of those. I will say, can I just, I just want to say one thing to, to anyone that's listening. One thing that I learned very quickly. So when you work at a company, every idea you do at that company, every email, like idea through, sent through email, worked on their laptop, worked on their monitor is theirs. So while I have these six patents and you could look them up and it'll say like sole inventor me, every single one of them is owned by a company I worked at. So if I had had like skippable pre-roll, like and for the record, like Viacom owns that patent right now, the entire leadership team that I was with is gone. They could probably turn around and sue the shit out of Google right now for all of those ads they run on YouTube. I thought we were recording this, right? That's what you wanted to say. On the <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Okay. Totally fine. But I'm just saying, I'm not trying to stir shit up. I'm just saying, like, like if you come up with an idea, a really strong one, try to do it on your own. You know, but I will say, like, getting a filing a patent and getting a patent is a is an extremely long process and a and a, a pricey one. Like those patents that we filed, some of those patents like eight or nine years ago, and some of them are still coming through. They started coming through like maybe like two years ago, three years ago. Wow. Have you, have you used any of that knowledge of patent making to do your own shit? Um, I'm trying to get them in trouble. Not, no, not but, fine. Not, not, not as of yet. I mean, there's, because there's this, it, it's costly. So the way it works is you come up with an idea, you could get, you can file for something called a patent pending, right? And then what this essentially says is, I forgot what it, I might be saying this wrong. It's like you own it for two to three years and you basically file for it. The problem is when you file for that, it's out there in the wild now. So someone else could actually see it, review it, whatever, work on it. And when you file these, the reason why it gets so expensive is because you have to have an attorney essentially write every single way this could be built. So if you say like, um, like, uh, like this cake, I'm going to file a patent for this cake. Well, how many ways can you make cake? Well, I can make cake with two eggs or no eggs. I can make it with whole milk or almond milk. So you have to write every single way you can actually create this. So when you put it out there, no one can have all these different ways to kind of get at it. So you have it patent pending for a while. Then you file for the actual patent, which costs additional money. And then if you, you know, if they approve it, then you get it. That's the steps and how it works. Hmm. So there's some uh, privilege 
barriers here. If, sure. Like if you would, yeah, got it. Cool. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So Walter, you broke 2020. Um, and that's why we're all on punishment right now. <laughs> um, you came out the door swinging in January, telling people about their mothers and their aunties and how they all need to stop worrying about uh, people uh, under 40 getting awards and their laurels and to start focusing on the wiser and more seasoned professionals in the field, right? Yep. Um, you've had features in Adweek, you've had features in Forbes, you did a fishbowl Q&A, and you received the Rockstar Award from the Advertising Club of New York. Um, obviously, I guess my original question was going to be, have you been able to use your uh, platform to shed light on issues you care about, but the reality is you have been able to use your platform to shed light on aging as well as health issues. So tell us about some of the things that are really important to you right now, starting with aging, um, and why why was that the fight you decided to pick up? So I... Um... I don't, I don't know. So the platform that I have now isn't a gigantic one. I think I have some people that listen. So I'm fortunate to that. Um, but the way this whole thing started oh, was are all your friends on here. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I could name some of these. There's a lot of names on here. I don't know. <laughs> these are your friends, but okay. Keep but, on. but, uh, you know, I think, you know, so I think why it worked for me, I think is because I was always authentic in the shit that I say and I talk about. I have diarrhea of the mouth, yes. right, right? And so like I will do. get on social, right. And I will get on social media sometimes and say things. I'm not a big uh, Twitter guy. I, I'm, I'm trying to use it, Derek Walker. He's, he's trying to show me the ropes <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I follow y'all. But like, it was like that, that whole 40 over 40 thing was, um, was you know, honestly, I, I, I got up one day, it was like a Saturday morning and I was just like annoyed with all the, yeah, I was annoyed with all the things I saw everyone posting all week. I got this. 30 under 30, 20 under 20. And I do, I do think it's, it's kind of bullshit that we don't praise people over 40, right? Because like talent doesn't stop at 40. I work with people at my agency at TBW World Health that are like well into their 60s and their 50s and 40s. I sit across from them, they sit next to me. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that you have a diverse kind of group of individuals and, and, and age is one of these things. And I think, let's be honest, why it really resonated because I talk a lot about our issues that people of color are having and I think why this one really resonated is because this affects all people, right? Like mm -hmm. a white person, black, Chinese, Asian, right? Like when we, when we cross that 40 barrier and I know it's every industry, but I know, you know, I focus primarily in, in advertising because it's what I know mm -hmm. we are considered dinosaurs, right? If, if, right? if you haven't made it to a certain level, if you are not at least a vice president by the time you're 40, you lose your job today, like with this COVID shit, Mm -hmm. And you go out and try to another, find, find another job, you're 45, 46, 47, and you're looking for a director or a manager or whatever, senior this, it's a wrap. It's not happening, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a stigma attached to it. So, not just that, but there's a lot of emphasis that's put on these awards, right? Yeah. So if, to your point, if there were more awards or laurels or focus on more seasoned talent and all of the uh, expertise that they bring to the table, then that would be seen as um, a reason to retain and hire um, people that have been in the game longer. Um, so I, you know, when I did see you put that out there, I did see it on a Saturday and I remember thinking, I was like, why is he thinking about this on Saturday? Like go to sleep. Um, but also because it's, it, it seems like, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like because you 
made that statement and because you were able to build platform from that statement we now see that forbes does have a 50 over 50 yeah um which which is amazing to see yeah Sorry. yeah it was uh it's i don't know the whole to be honest with you the whole this whole this 2020 has been weird in a lot of ways for me that that for me i think was the one moment that for me at least that broke right it was like that thing i don't even remember right now it was like two million views at like 20 something 28 29,000 interactions oh, i have a lot of friends it was, but, it was crazy but i only <laughs> had two million views <laughs> no no i didn't know the i don't know these people it just you know but uh and, and then after that happened just everything forbes reached out and adweek reached out and then it became a thing and and then it was I guess it wasn't until recent that I kind of realized, well, maybe, you know, I, I continued doing the things that I believed in, uh, but now it allowed me the opportunity to, to push those things even further and have conversations with people that probably four months ago wouldn't want to have a say word with me. I wouldn't say four months ago, maybe like a year and a half ago, because you definitely have been doing a lot, I would say, in the last year, especially uh, it's you've been at TBWA two years. A year now, yeah. A year year now? So I think even with you moving into that role, again, as a man of color, a black man at that, stepping into a a creative leadership role, and then quite frankly, just saying whatever the fuck you you feel that's on your spirit, that the ancestors are guiding you to say, um, has been really exciting to see. Because even, I would say, in our experience, sometimes you just got to say the obvious shit for people to really get it. Yeah. Um, so that's been nice to see. I mean, but also in the spirit of saying the obvious shit, um, the people, a lot of the people who make these awards are, they're not in their 20s or their 30s. So like, what do you think is the the mindset behind, I guess it's self-sabotage, right? So you're, you're shining the light on, mm. on a group of people that aren't you, but almost by like propping them up, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where people can start seeing you as antiquated or not uh, a right fit for the culture or the industry. That's a good question, man. Here's my thing. I've, I've, it's taken me a long time to get to a point in my career where I feel like I, I can say the shit that I want to say. I could talk the way I want. I could walk into an office dressed the way I want to dress. I think that it's not until you get into that point in your career and in your life where you, I mean, I'll, I'll say at least for me, where, where I, I at least feel as though now I'm doing shit that actually matters. And, and I feel com- like when I became confident in myself and who I am and doing what I want to do, it, for me at least, allowed me to do some of the best work that I've done in my career. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so I don't, I know, and I could go off a list of people, I'm not going to do that here, that don't like me. Right? Because I also talk shit about chief diversity <laughs> officers. Right. Yeah, right. It is. Too. It is what it is. Right. And I know. And I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. And I know I walk into rooms where there are plenty of people that look like you and I who give me the cold shoulder because of some of the shit that I say. But I say things because of because it's the fucking truth. I talk like when I talk about chief diversity officers, like there, there are plenty that are great. But when I say things like a lot of them are out there shucking and jiving. Right. <laughs> it's the truth. So, so, and I don't say this because I'm trying to piss somebody off. I say this because we black people, right? People of color need to do more with helping each other. And just because you got a shiny title or a nice car because you're chilling at cans, like that doesn't mean that's not helping. That's not benefiting the next person. So when I look at myself, mm-hmm. you know, it took me a while to understand, like I've like, I'm one of probably less than 10 people, you know, that have a CD title that are SVP and above in the agency mm-hmm. world, which is, which is absurd. But I use now my platform 
to help other people, like to send the elevator back down. It's important. So, so yeah. when I go out and the things I say, when I go on social media and things, you know, everything I do is about how do I help us and how do we kind of allow these people to come up and get to where we're at, right? Maybe when I'm 50 and 60 and I can't get a job, it's one of these people who help me get a job. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's something interesting about what you're saying because I think one of the, the tones or the things that we've been talking about for the last couple of months are leaders and them people leading with empathy and not ego, right? So this whole idea of... You're just going to keep quoting me, friend. I'm, I'm with the shit. You're a listen, real ass friend. Listen, listen. <laughs> I, I, don't you want to be quotable? I love it. <laughs> this is all I have these days. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but it, this idea of leading with, with empathy, I think that's where people actually start to where the leaders start to rise, right? Because people actually see it, they feel it. When it's authentic, people know that you ain't about the bullshit, right? And I think ultimately at the end of the day, part of the reason why, you know, what you said took off is because it resonated with people. Like people felt like you were speaking for them as opposed to some of the the, the DNI officers, unfortunately, when you're leading from a place with, from from a place of ego, it's it's hard to connect with people because you're not you're not on the same level as them. Or you don't, you actually don't even want to be on the same level as them indirectly. Yeah. Also, I, I get it too, because as a, as a, as a chief diversity officer, like you, your voice is your company's voice, right? So you do have to be careful with the things you say, mm-hmm. right? And again, like I know plenty, there are plenty of great chief diversity officers. I work with them. Don't backtrack now. You said what no, you I'm just said. saying, there are plenty of good ones. I'm just saying. <laughs> really, right. I'm just saying, right. My, my point is that we all need to be doing more. Right. If you're in a position of authority, like you owe it because look, none of us, like I got to where I'm at. Look, I got to where I'm at because of the help from other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And truth be told, I'll be honest with you. It was four people in my career that helped put me where I'm at and none of them looked like me. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, but I was fortunate enough to have people that believed in me. And I was fortunate enough to have people that, that, that brought me along the way. People that reached back and said, you need to be a vice president. Come this way. Or I'm going to make you a senior vice president. Come this way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just saying we just need to do more. So let's just let's let's kind of go deeper into the aging conversation for a little bit before we transition over to health. What do you feel are are the uh, key characteristics that we're missing out on because as an industry culturally we don't value um, professionals that have been doing this a long time. I mean, I think you hit it on the head, right? It's it's talent. There are people that I work with that are older than me that just know a shit ton more than me, right? They're gonna know more than us. They've been at this longer than us, right? Um, just because I've been driving a car for 15, 20 years, whatever, doesn't mean that I might know it better than the guy 34 years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's the biggest thing, right? It's just, there, there are so many different areas that, of, of talent that we could tap into that we don't. Now, to be clear, I think part of this is also that you look at a resume and you look at the kid with five years and you look at the person with 30 that are both interviewing for the same job, a few things come up. One is like, oh gosh, do I really want to hire this old person? Let's be honest. I'm sure that's what happens, right? Um, do, they, do they? I don't say that. I'm just saying that's what happens. Like they think, are they going to vibe here because they have to right. connect with everyone? They're, are they going to, you know, fit in? Um, but then there's also that. Well, this kid for fi- that's been doing this for five years, I could probably get away with paying him fifty. The guy with thirty is going to probably want one twenty, right? Mm-hmm. So then it comes down to a, a salary thing. So so look, I, I'm, I'm sure it's all of that. Um, I've always I've always felt that it was more of a power play to not try to hire somebody that might know more than you 
or that is probably less likely to be manipulated in the way you can manipulate more junior people or influence so maybe manipulate manipulate is a harsh word but influence people um because you know a lot of people really just don't know conflict resolution yeah. um and you know i'm a work in progress the lord is working on me but that's definitely a, a big point of mine is finding people on a team that know how to resolve conflict because to me that's where innovation comes from right being able to take insight from historical context while also utilizing uh insight from you know what's happening now how do we marry like would we be in this situation with this pandemic if we had somebody on all of our teams that you know maybe had been through and please forget the timeline, but maybe had been through a pandemic or an, a serious epidemic from uh, the early 1900s and also that understands how to use social media now. Would we have been better prepared as a, an industry uh, to pivot? Um, I think that's something that we definitely want to, for me, that's something that you would want to consider. But I often find working with um, my colleagues, you don't want somebody that wouldn't want you to tell them what to do. And that's been, that to me has been a, a big hindrance in the, the age conversation. But, but think about the reverse though, right? Think about that 40, let's think about that 50 year old having to go in and work for a 22 year old. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So, so, so there's something, I think there's some, I agree with what you're saying, but there's, if there's a two way kind of thing here, right. In, in, in terms of it being a weird or uncomfortable kind of situation. Look, my, 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 my point about the whole thing was just the, this, it's like, there's a lot of talent out there, right? And, and, and whether people hire them or not or how they hire, whatever, that's their thing. But my whole thing is we should be awarding, rewarding all of those people, like mm -hmm. everyone, right? Just talent in general. Yeah, talent in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I was, it was really excited to see Forbes come out with theirs as well. That was, that was pretty dope. And you did that. Maybe you should, can, is there a patent for that? A patent for <laughs> and like getting things made from it? <laughs> Have you have you found yourself in a situation where you may have felt um, that age played a part in in an experience that that you had to embark on? Young or I don't, no, I don't know, but I can tell you I've had that experience being black, mm -hmm. right? And and I'm I'm not going to sit here and, and 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 say they're the same because they're not. But I will say that they're the same in terms of walking into an interview and having someone look at you and be a little bit surprised with who's sitting on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I would, I would assume to some degree, there are some, you know, some similarities in, in that. Um, but no, I mean, I, 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 I don't have that many gray hairs yet. Right. And the so. melanin makes it very difficult to <laughs> ensure, you know, what age you are. Is he 17? Is he 57? We'll never right. know. Next time so, I apply for a job, I'm just cut off the first half of my resume. <laughs> <laughs> so to that, to that point, when, when those two issues are compounded, uh, age and race, uh, I'm curious, um, when you look around you and you look at your circle and you think back 20 years ago to, to the New York Times, uh, do you see a lot of those people that are in the same, that started with you, here next to you, whether they're working at your company or working somewhere else, or, or are they uh, missing in action? That is such a good question. Um, it's that's so a few, right? I, I think that there are a few that, that last the time. I think that there are a few have not made it. I've been, I've been lucky. I'm not going to lie. Like I've been lucky and really fortunate to have people in my corner 
that brought me with him. I, I traveled with the same executive leadership team for like six years of my career between, you know, th three companies, you know, kept bringing me in and in, in, in promoting me. Um, I think that the bulk of the talent and what you will see, uh, especially when you, you bring together people of color and then ageism, um, is that the, the best talent are actually freelancers or consultants right now. Right. I know some of the smartest people that I talk to on almost a daily basis who give me feedback on things. Right. Who I go to to ask questions. How does this sound? How should I write this? Does this look OK? Um, that are consulting. Right. And it's bullshit. And I think that a lot of that is because of frustration of feeling as though I need to have a seat at the table. I'm just as smart or smarter than anybody at this table. And you're not you're, you're not allowing me the opportunity or I'm not getting promoted. I've seen countless people who I talk to even that are younger that mm -hmm. have been at other agencies and other companies who said, well, like, how do you do it? Right? Like I've, you know, I've been here for four years. I'm up for promotion the past two. I'm not getting it. Other people around me are getting promoted. What am I doing wrong? And then who end up quitting? I'm going to go and do my own thing. Right? So it's a, it's an unfortunate thing. And when I start to think about what these chief diversity officers and agencies and companies as a whole need to be doing is when they see people of color leaving, it's not about how many people we can bring in. It's about when they leave, understanding why they're leaving, right? Like what's your retention numbers look like? All right. So also to that point, do you think any of this has to do with, um, especially within advertising, right? The track is pretty, it's pretty linear, right? So you're a junior, you're mid, you're a senior, then you, they want you to manage people. Um, and when there are only a limited amount of management positions, it's almost like people, you either, get frustrated and leave, or you become a manager. And so I guess the, the question is, do you think a part of this problem is because the tracks are very linear? Like you can't be in this, in, if people see you in this industry for 30 plus years, and you're not managing anybody. It's kind of like, well, what the fuck are you doing, right? Like there's, there's this, this crown that's put on your head once you are giving people you're giving people to manage, but what if you don't want to be a manager? So I think there's, I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, having been in this industry, if some of the people who've opted into being a consultant or a freelancer have done it because I want more money, I want more, sure. more responsibility, more whatever at the table, but I don't necessarily want to manage anybody. A hundred percent. And it's a, it's a hundred percent. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, I had a good friend who recently passed away who I worked with at the New York Times. Um, this brother was like their best seller, right? Salesman. And the dude had been there for like nine, 10 years. And every single time he would try to, they would try to promote him. He would say no. Right. He was probably, I think now he'd probably be about like 51, 52 now. So I used to ask him like, man, like, why, why don't you want to take this job? Man, you could be the vice president. You could be killing it. Like, and you're just an account executive. Like why for eight, nine years? Why? And he looked at me and said, man, look, I don't want to manage anybody. I don't want to deal with anyone else's shit. Like I'm coming in the office and leaving when I want. I'm, I'm hitting my goals. I'm making a ton of money and I don't have to deal with any stress. It's easy. Right. So when I was young, I kind of looked at it as like, this guy's a dummy, man. He could be a vice president because when we're young, we think about title. Right. Now I look back and say, I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanna I wanna kind of switch the conversation just for a little bit because we got about fifteen minutes left. Uh, another great thing that you've done, amongst everything that's so great, um, is recently shed light on the experiences of Black women, um, basically not being treated as fairly or not getting their voices heard 
um, when it comes to medical experiences. Um, you recently helped to lead a campaign with TBWA Health. Um, and I just kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about that, quite frankly, because I feel that we don't speak a lot about that. Um, and, and especially with us being in the middle of, of you know, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, it's really important for us to have advocates like you in this space. So tell us a little, a little bit about that campaign. Thank you, yeah. So Black History Month came around and it was, again, see, this is, this is like- That's how far back we were supposed to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Black History Month came around and again, like my problem is like I see some things, I get frustrated, I say something, right? So I was seeing people start to celebrate Black History Month I'm not gonna say the agency, but I was looking at your store post and they were sitting in their lunchroom and the post said, Beyonce 24 hours around the clock, Black History Month. And I'm like, y'all are watching Beyonce for Black History Month? First of all, don't hate. But um, look, <laughs> look, if that's first all you're all, doing- watch, for, your, like, watch yourself on my show, first of all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look, but, but, and, then, and then you see the typical like fried chicken, fried chicken and you know what I mean? And, and, and string beans and like, we're so, mm, this is good. Let's look like I had a conversation with my colleagues and 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 uh, two of my colleagues, Wally and Brian. And um, you know, it was Wally kind of inspired it. Brian kind of like took it to another thing. And then I came in, and then we were like, we 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 need to do something. How do we activate an audience? Um, the truth is, we there are facts out there. Like African American women are three times more likely to die giving birth than a white woman. Right, I am, you know, black black people. Like I am, um, I will die, like X amount. I forgot how many a few years less than a white person. Like ten years less than a white person who has the same job, same salary, live in the same area. That I could go, like I could go on for days with these facts. And the problem with facts is facts are numbers on pages, mm -hmm. right? Like it's easy to gloss over. So we said, well, what if we actually did a campaign? around these facts, but allowed our black employees to tell their stories, right? Because when I talk about, when we talk about advertising, um, it's about, I always go back to Angela, uh, Maya Angelou's quote where she said, uh, people won't remember how you, how, what you did or how you, or what you said, but they'll remember the way you made them feel. So advertising is about how do you elicit an emotion from someone? So we said, if we can have these people show like these two minute stories of, of, of how they were affected, um, we could perhaps change the way people think and feel. So we call that initiative um, hashtag Black Health Now, um, and it essentially addressed the ongoing racial bias and, uh, and systemic racism that's built into the healthcare system uh, that is essentially leading to poor, poor health outcomes for Black people. Like we, like in, in Black Americans, we are at greater risk for, for preventable, preventable medical complications and death. So we, for every single day for two weeks, we released a story across social media. You know, the, the, it, it was interesting to see it kind of take off. Um, like immediately, like Ad Week picked it up, Ad Age picked it up, MM&M picked it up. We had like started like 693 conversations on social media, 2.9 million, million impressions. It, like it was good, it was a thing. Yeah, two million again, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was good, but, it, but the thing is like it was, you know, I don't care if it reached 10 people, right? If it made people like sit back and think like, wow. And, and my point with the facts and numbers and seeing shit, it's like, we all knew, everyone knew police brutality existed, but it wasn't until we saw that video of Rodney King that everyone said, oh, sh this is absurd, right? So it's about showing people, right? Like, like what they're going through and what we are going through.
How does that relate to what's happening these days as we um, are in the throes of this pandemic? Again, you know, last week we are seeing all of the headlines about African Americans uh, are experiencing higher death rates uh, due to coronavirus. It hit my family as well last week. Right. So how do we relate what you've done with that campaign to what's happening today? We, we, we had a second round of, of our uh, campaign that we were supposed to launch. COVID hit and then we put it on pause. Um, it was last week, Monday, I woke up and then it was, this is like all over the news, like the numbers and everything were coming in and uh, disparities. Uh, and then our colleagues, we, we basically hopped on a quick call and we're like, well, we have to do something. We have, we have to kick this thing off again. Uh, so the idea was again, like it couldn't, okay, so we understand what's going on. We don't know everything about it, but what if we provided, drove a little more awareness around this, uh, we debunked some of the facts uh, or some of the myths and presented some of the facts by bringing in some experts to talk about this. And, and, and it broke my heart. Like I was, I, I was pretty emotional going through this because like when you see the numbers, it was like in Chicago, 72% of people who have died from COVID-19 are black. We make up 30% of the population. Louisiana, 32% of the population is African-American. 70% of us are, are the deaths and you know or coronavirus deaths mm -hmm. like um i forgot what city was last week that was like 100 percent of deaths that came in were african-american mm -hmm. right so we decided all right well what can we do i reached out to a few people and i got one of the first doctors uh to ever deal with covid uh in new york he lives in new rochelle dr edward lathan uh who got on and we did a live this last weekend and we talked through like everything and it was it was amazing and, and the five things he ended up with the results and we're going to be putting the video for this online tomorrow then some of the facts across social media was number one he's like stay home everyone needs to stay home like simple stuff number two wash your hands clearly 20 seconds number three if you leave the house wear your mask well here's some other big ones smokers like you are at high risk right that goes for weed too because when we inhale like you're giving that that thing and a ride straight down to your lungs and when covid hits your lungs that creates covid pneumonia and people that's how people are dying um and but the bigger piece for for african-americans is like we need to do a better job living a healthy lifestyle mm -hmm. right that is eating better that's like let let more greens less meats drinking plenty of water he was saying simple stuff like making sure you're getting six hours of sleep right Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's a fucked up thing that we're being so impacted. But uh, and, and again, I'm just using my platform to give people these tools and show people and talk to people about what's really out there, because a lot of us thinking, well, we, I can't get black. people, We can't get sick. Well, this is not going to be us. And then black people, we, you know, in, in inner city, we live in intergenerational homes where we have like kids, parents and grandparents yep. and the 16, 17 year old kid who thinks I'm not going to get this anyway, who's hanging outside smoking weed with his buddy, pass the blunt to the next man, uh -huh. pass it, comes home and then gives that to grandma. Grandma then goes in the ICU and now the whole family is sick. Yeah. No, nope. I know it, that story. This is real. Um, I think it's, 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 it's interesting that you're saying that because one of the things that dawned on me last night after a conversation was kind of like, I think in in the black community, and I will I will generalize this as many black communities. So whether you're Caribbean, Latin, African American, however you identify, we look at health not necessarily as um, like an endurance training for the body, but more so as an aesthetic. So you want to be thin, you want to, you know, you want to look like Idris, or you want to look like Rihanna, and all of those things are great. And one of the things that crossed my mind is that it's it it was never about 
conditioning your body or being healthy to look away. It's conditioning your body for worst case scenario, i.e. what we're in. So what does that look like? You know, what does that look like while we are staying home? Somebody else, somebody else called out yesterday on another call. You know, we got to start telling people what to do. It's not just stay home. It's about what to do while you're home and how do you, how you condition yourselves? How do you train yourselves? How do you prepare yourself for either whether it be a second round of this or if this ever happens again to ensure that more of our bodies and more of our uh, uh, health experiences are able to withstand these kinds of conditions that quite frankly we can't see. Um, I know a lot of black people like the joke was black people not going to get this because black people wash their legs and their hands which for many of us it's true but the other habits as you're talking about do exist and it's not about us just washing our hands it's about the people around us washing our hands and if you are not completely siloed yourself it's not just an individual issue and i think that's what a lot of us thought about when this first happened um so i'm glad you brought that doctor in and hopefully you know you could share that link with us so we can share it on our platforms as well tomorrow indeed indeed yeah i mean i think i think one of the things that i took away from that was just kind of catering the message to the target. And I think with, not that I think, but I know that without someone like you at the table, that probably wouldn't have happened, right? And I think that's one of the things that that I'm being mindful of as we're having this conversation, whether it's age or race, that having people at the table that have uh, diverse experiences um, is extremely important to to being effective. I was on a call this morning and there was a woman who was there from Ghana and she was talking about how she was ready for this because they already went through a famine. So there Mm -hmm. were certain cultural things that she was already doing um, on a day-to-day basis where she had like six months of food like stocked up and she lived in London. So there was like no reason for her to, to do that, but she was able to use that knowledge to help some of her clients do some activations out there. So I think there's, there's, in this conversation about um, about age and race and health, um, where we already know that people are looking to brands to be more socially responsible, they're looking for them to activate whether you work for a health client or not. But it's imperative that there are people like you at the table um, of certain of various ages to make sure that one the the activations are empathetic, but also they're coming from a place of like real insight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, data, data is everything, and authenticity right now is, is everything as well. And and truth be told, like I don't know that I'd have part of this platform without you know my agency behind me because I'm I'm fortunate that the TBWA World Health has has been like they're like yeah you can we'll we will be your ladder, stand on top of our shoulders, scream as loud as you can, we will help push this stuff. Let's go, let's go do it. Um, they're 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 great advocates and, and people that understand that. Um, you know, we need to we need to have a voice out here and, and do shit that makes a difference. Our, you know, our our slogan is um is um it's uh be authentic, do good, and raise hell, right? And those are three reasons that like that I came to this agency because they they mean what they do and how they do it, and it's uh it's been a fun ride, right? That's and, awesome. And, yeah. Well, I know I I just want to say thank you for sparing your time with us. I know you got a whole family. You got an Instagram show. You got uh, six patents and you got a nice house in the suburbs. And that's a lot. That's a lot to handle to kick it with the kids in Brooklyn. But we definitely thank you. Yeah, we do. We definitely thank you for 
taking the time out to talk to us, to share your wisdom. Um, also for being an, setting an example and being an example of what it looks like to be smart, dope, have fresh sneakers and still raise hell in the industry. Um, without folks like you, people like us couldn't be mixy at those events you always see us at. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys. You guys, you, you're, this platform has given me a voice as well. So I appreciate you in, in this time for sure. Um, I'm, we're, we're, we're both trying to do the same thing, right? We're, we're both out trying to make change and trying to, trying to allow other people that look like us to be heard and seen. And, and that's important. So we appreciate folks like yourselves as well. A hundred percent. Thank it. you guys for those of you that were able to join us. Um, if you've never listened to us before, if you'd like to listen to us again, we are on all of the uh, social media platforms at Ask Mixed Company, um, as well as our website at mixedcompanypodcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and wherever the hell else your mom listens to her platforms. That's where we be <laughs> at. Um, and we will post this show later this week if you want to take a re- uh, another listen or share it with others. So with that, uh, thank you all and peace the hell out. Stay right. safe and stay home. Stay safe. Word.